0: Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no
1: hill or mountain we can't climb. Babe, I got you, baby. Hey, everyone, I'm Alexa. And I'm Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking all about the movie Groundhog Day.
2: Then put your little hand
1: in mine. Hey, everyone, I'm Alexa. And
2: I'm Katrin.
1: And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking all about the movie Groundhog Day. Did you just get deja vu? That was weird. I got
0: out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? I don't uh, think hardly. I don't and, you know, you can expect hazardous travel later today with that, you know, that uh, that blizzard thing. Oh, that blizzard thing. That mm-hmm. uh, blizzard thing. Oh, well, here's the report. The National Weather Service is calling for a big blizzard thing. Yes, right they are. But, you know, there's another reason why today is especially exciting. Especially cold. Especially cold. Yep. Okay. But the big question on everybody's lips. Yep. Yeah, their chapped lips. On their chapped chap lips. Chap right lips. Do you think... Phil's going to come out and see his shadow. Punxsutawney Phil. That's right, Woodchuck Chuckers. It's Groundhog Day.
2: So you rewatched Groundhog Day for the second time yesterday, right? Correct. Wait, how long ago did you see it for the first time?
1: Um, Like a year and a half, maybe mm. Mm. within the past two years, because actually, I believe I heard, I heard from someone on a podcast. They were doing this thing. It was a hundred movies they'd never seen before, but each movie had to have an actor in common. So you had to have a link in between the movies you watched. Like a, almost
2: like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon
1: yes. type So thing. if I was watching Groundhog Day, I might watch a Caddyshack because I've never seen that either. And it has Bill Murray in both and then so on and so forth. And you have to pick from, someone from Caddyshack. That's cool. And I was doing that. I never finished it. I actually have to dig up that list and 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 continue. But... I watched it as part of that. And I think I did that like a year and a half to two years ago. So, and I watched it for the first time and loved it, but haven't seen it since. And then I watched it again yesterday. It's like seriously one of the best movies ever.
2: Yes. I love hearing you say that. I
1: actually want to say even objectively, I picked up on some really cool, like, I'll get into it, geeky film stuff. And almost objectively so, one of the best movies I've ever seen.
2: I think it's ranked on a lot of those top movie lists. Yeah.
1: So the movie came out in 1993. It's written by Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis, which Harold Ramis stars with him in Ghostbusters and has worked on many of Bill Murray's movies and also directed the movie, and directed a bunch of Office episodes. They talk about him on Office Ladies. Yeah. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. And um, Roger Ebert gave it four stars and said, Groundhog Day is a film that finds its note and purpose so precisely that his genius may not be immediately noticeable. It unfolds so inevitably, is so entertaining, so apparently effortless that you have to stand back and slap yourself before you can see how good it really is.
2: (laughs) Well, it's interesting that last line because he originally gave it three stars and it wasn't until a number of years later that he revised it. Yeah. I wonder how often he's done that or if that was a special thing.
1: So I remember when this came up on our 90s rom-com episode, you said that this was one of your favorite movies of all time.
2: It is. I didn't rewatch it to prepare for this episode, but I have seen it probably about, I don't know, over 10 times throughout my life. So <sighs> wow, I felt like I, I probably remember it well enough. It is one of my favorite movies. I don't even know if I can explain why. It just feels like home to me. Yeah,
1: so what? The, one of the first things that I noticed actually relates to a conversation we had recently about why you can tell it's summer in pictures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that that don't have anything that gives you the indication it's summer. This movie looks like winter. Yeah, it does. The entire movie has a gray tint over it. That makes everything just look a tiny bit duller, a tiny bit less saturated. And what's funny is because I checked, because I was curious, it was filmed in Illinois in summer.
2: I have a lot to say about this. (laughs) So first off, I read that they actually shot a bunch of versions of many of the outdoor scenes because they weren't sure what type of weather they wanted the movie to have at first. Like, Ah. obviously, they knew the time of year it was going to be. But they didn't know what the weather was going to be. And since it's every day being the same day, it had to be the same each day. So the outdoor scenes, they filmed multiple times in multiple weather conditions, which is wild. I'm so glad they chose, like, the overcast sort of bleak weather because there's something... To me, that's not only very fitting, but also very cozy about that.
1: Yeah. And that was one of the first things I noticed because of our conversation the other day. I was like, wow, I bet this was filmed not in winter.
2: (laughs) I also thought it was so interesting that it was filmed in Illinois because Mm -hmm. we've touched on this before. Yes. There's something about movies filmed there, especially in the 90s, that have a a similar i don't know tone or feeling
1: i know i had no idea that suburban illinois felt exactly like the east coast i had no (laughs) no idea that that was the same feeling you wouldn't imagine it would but i mean just look at home alone and this clearly it's unmistakable
2: christmas with the cranks was filmed there yes christmas with the cranks is also
1: suburban illinois so i mean it's unmistakable
2: so what other cool facts did you learn I learned that
1: <laughs> that Harold Ramis had this way of telling Bill Murray basically what his intentions behind each scene was. The key words they use, basically, Bill Murray would just ask Harold Ramis, good Phil or bad Phil? <laughs> <Like, laughs> for this scene, was he being, you know, would he have good intentions or would he be an ass?
2: You know, I never knew that this was what broke their friendship. I know. I read that. And they didn't speak for 20 years yeah. Until he was dying. Yeah. I mean, that's some heavy stuff.
1: Especially because of the long relationship they had before then. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: Obviously, they were very close friends before then, but also to create so much together, that's like an artistic partnership, too. I mean, that's yeah, that's a lot. It's, it's sad.
1: It is really sad, especially that it lasted so long. Their
2: rift. Yeah. yeah. Stubborn old men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I read that they considered four other actors for this part. Did you did you read that? I as well? only saw two. Okay, so Ooh. the fir- the two that you probably saw were Michael Keaton and Tom Hanks. Yes. The other two and I mean I don't know how true this is, but mm-hmm. from what from what I found were Steve Martin and John Travolta. What the And so apparently Tom Hanks turned it down because he knew he would have to play him as like a nice guy because that's who Tom Hanks is yeah, and what people expected from him. And he knew he wouldn't do it justice in that way. And then apparently Michael Keaton just sort of didn't get it and was like, no. And then regretted I saw it. that <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't understand the script. <laughs> Imagine Martin. if Michael Keaton had done. What the hell is wrong with me? What's the movie? Beetlejuice? Yes, thank you. Imagine (laughs) if Michael Keaton had done Beetlejuice and Groundhog Day. That would be like Bill Murray doing Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) So we've talked about this before, but thank the God above that Bill Murray took on this role. It seems like they wrote it for him.
1: Yes. It's insane. I know we've talked about how we love Bill Murray's style before, but I was really trying to hone in on like what it is. And I think I might've figured out what's something that makes him so hysterical is that he always seems like he's playing to a fictional audience he subconsciously knows is there. He always is making jokes. He's cracking jokes and being on... For pete like the characters are not usually entertained by his shenanigans. It's almost like he knows there's an audience that's watching him and he's playing to the house almost. that's feel it feels very like theatrical in a way
2: that is so observant and true. <laughs> I would never in a million years have pinpointed that and been able to verbalize it. Or articulate it, but holy shit, that is true. It you know what it made me think of when you're saying that it's sort of like they say when you're writing to picture your ideal audience, but as a single person and write to that person. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he he that's what he's doing. He's acting, yeah. although I don't know if it is to that person, but maybe like <laughs> to that crowd. Yeah. To that audience. Well, like you said.
1: It almost seems like he's a half second away from turning and facing the camera and being like, do you believe these people? (laughs) It's like, what? And like giving us a little wink. He's a fraction away from turning and looking deadpan right into the camera.
2: Which is also so funny because the majority of the time that people actually do that, it's so cheesy and bad. Exactly. but, But with him, it just works and I think he could pull it off if he was someone
1: who looked right into camera and made some kind of a joke it would be funny it wouldn't be so many faces in Ghostbusters that felt like that too yes He's like playing to this imaginary audience. No one in the world that he's in is ever entertained by his shit. They're all <laughs> always like get like would you stop? <laughs> Who are you acting for? And that but it's like he knows other people are watching him without
2: ever calling it out. I wonder if that's part of what makes feel like he's connected to us. Like when I watch yeah. Bill Murray, I feel like he's making that movie and playing that role for me. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be it! Wow, Alexa, I'm really that. That's amazing. (laughs) I almost want to
1: say, as integral as everybody else is, it's he. He basically it's a one man show. I mean, he essentially this entire he's carrying this movie on his back. The other Mm. people are merely almost props to his his story. I mean, the people are almost interchangeable as far as who he's interacting with. They all have obviously their own little quirk because they all have to be like identifiable as the days repeat. But he is alone for a lot of it. And he shines by himself alone.
2: You know what else I was thinking about? For some reason, it's so hard for me to fathom that when we say, oh, my God, it's like Groundhog Day that it actually came from this movie. (laughs) It's so embedded in our culture now. I actually have to think to myself, did that actually come from this movie? Or was that a a thing that people said before this?
1: It's true.
2: It's true. I've
1: never really thought about that. (laughs) It's such an, it's an idiom that's like so ingrained in the lexicon that it's crazy, That it came from this. It feels like it came before it, but it definitely didn't.
2: By the way, I feel like lexicon, you should write that down. Because (laughs) I feel like you can use that as a play on your name at some point for something. (laughs) Oh, the only other note I wrote was that for some reason it's forever amusing to me that the master of ceremonies guy is Bill Murray's brother.
1: Oh, the Mayory guy that chokes in the restaurant? Yeah. When I was paying attention... Not that I wasn't paying attention the first time, <laughs> but when I was really analytically paying attention for it, watching it this time. The editing is, I don't even know. It's a shame people who haven't studied it wouldn't understand the level of mastery you that guys this...
2: wouldn't understand.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't get it. I'm such a pretentious asshole. But the editing is masterful. This could have been such a hack job. If this was made by somebody else who didn't seamlessly edit this in a way that you always know watching the scene that this is not the first time he's done this, are you having an issue?
2: No, I was looking up who edited the movie. Oh. It's not really relevant for the episode. I just wanted to see if it was a woman because I have randomly heard a bunch of different things recently about how every fucking amazing movie that you've ever seen. Mm -hmm that was directed by a man was edited by a woman. And they say that direct, I don't remember if it was like a comedy sketch or something. I don't remember where I saw it, but someone was saying how directors are basically just guys like pointing their dick everywhere, pointing their camera everywhere and getting all the footage and just being like maniac monsters. And then the editors are the ones who actually create the movie. Everything was like Pulp Fiction um yes. good fellas every good movie was edited by a woman
1: wow
2: that's cool was but in this, this one- case it was a guy
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the obviously we know that what he's experiencing he's not experiencing for the first time usually but they pick and choose when they're going to show something multiple times and when they're going to give just a very subtle indication that this is not the first time he's lived through something. Ooh, that's true. For example, when we see him in the bar with Rita and he's buying her a drink, we see that literally play out start to finish like three or four times right back to back. It's, It's just him walking in, walking in, walking in and doing the whole drink thing, toasting to world peace. And each time it cuts to a part That's like we just got through seeing because they could they have in other parts played the entire thing where the Mm. conversation beforehand and yada yada. But once he figures out the new piece of information, it just plays that split second again with him doing it right. But they don't do that every time because when he takes her back to his room and he's trying to sleep with her, he says a couple of things to her to try and get her to stay, which she tells us that this is not the first time he's done this, but we've only seen it once when he takes the when he tells her that he has Rocky Road ice cream on the on the windowsill. Mm. We know that he must know that from living through it and her saying something about Rocky Road, but we haven't seen it. But we know that the only way he would know that is because he's done it six, seven hundred times. <laughs> so. It's vi- And they choose at different times whether or not they want to play the entire clip, whether or not they want to play an entire scenario start to finish, just a part, just a line, because then they have a mo- like a small montage of him, of her slapping him a bunch of times. The editing is out of control good, because that is what makes it, because you never feel, you always feel like you're watching something for the second or third time, even if not necessarily you
2: are. Yeah, and you don't consciously notice why you know that it's not the first time. Exactly. You just just know. Like when he's walking
1: with her and gonna make the snowman, the first time we see that, you get the feeling that this isn't the first time, even though there's nothing really palpable to the scene that gives you the indication. But you know just from how he's acting or what he says. She says to him like, It's a perfect day.
2: You couldn't have
0: planned a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so, so
1: it's subtle things peppered throughout that really give you the feeling that you've lived the day as many times as he has. I love that. There's so much subtlety in a movie that could have been so gimmicky and heavy handed. Yeah. Because this could have literally been we saw the whole day 15 times in a row.
2: And if it were up to the studio, it would have been a lot more gimmicky and heavy handed. Really? Like they wanted there to be a whole um portion of where he gets cursed by an ex-lover or a gypsy to explain why he's living his days over and so over. So
1: this was the other thing that I loved, which is that... There is zero outside explanation as to what we don't know why he's living the day over and over we don't know how he's in a movie called Scrooge have you ever seen Scrooge?
2: No, but I can picture the <laughs> movie poster. Basically a Clearly. modern day
1: Christmas carol where he where he has basically like ghosts come and tell him like different scenarios. They take him through his life whatever. That could have been this. There could have been some kind of it's a wonderful life ghost or whatever that tells him like, oh, you're stuck living this day over and over until you learn the lesson. And then when he learns the lesson, they show. But they don't do any of that. It feels very grounded for a movie that could have been very
2: hijinksy. And like they respect the audience's intelligence enough to know that they can figure that part out.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because we watch it and we see what makes him able to stop living the day over and over. We don't need the explanation spelled out for us that the reason that he's able to continue living each day is because now he realized that he should be a a better person. Yeah, we can see that from the movie. We don't need someone to explain it to us. It's so cool that this movie doesn't do any of that like bullshit.
2: It's interesting that you pointed that out because I was reading an article about Danny Rubin, the screenwriter Mm -hmm. on Vulture, and we'll share it in the show notes or we'll tweet it or something, where he talks about how after this came out, he moved his family to New Mexico and there was a ton of attention and interest from the industry. They were trying to essentially like woo him back to LA because everybody wanted to hire him after this. Mm. And he went out to LA a bunch of times and had a ton of different meetings and all the studios were pitching him Movies that he refused to write. He said something about I don't know if this is something that was actually pitched to him or just an example, but he said something about like, you know, Goldie Hawn goes with her family on a camping trip and the whole thing turns into a disaster. And then by the end, they found a renewed connection and like everything is great. And he, oh, I think it is a real example, because then he said, you know, that he laid out, here's how the movie would start. Here's what happens in the middle. Here's how it ends. He essentially verbalized the entire script to the person he was having the meeting with and then said, that's a movie that I will never fucking write. So he had a really clear vision of the type of movies that he wanted to make. And they weren't the typical Hollywood movies that are predictable or or go the way you think they're going to. And because he was so committed to his own vision, he turned down opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and actually never really ended up making a movie again. He sold a bunch of scripts, but they, for one reason or another, were never made. Mainly because he refused to make the changes that studios wanted him to make for those scripts to be more palatable to a wider audience.
1: Hollywood sucks. <laughs> studios are the worst, and that's for TV too. I don't understand. Yeah. They, they, it's almost like they're in the trees so they can't see the forest. I
2: don't. It's, and could they not have trusted his creative vision after that? Like that's what I mean. Like he already did it. It's one. I thing- think it would happen today.
1: Yeah, that's true. It has come a long way when it comes to that. Like Creators have seemed to have fought long and hard enough that when they have a clear way of wanting to do something or or something unique to their style of creating, that they tried their best not to interfere with that too much. How long do you think he was living the same day?
2: So I have never myself tried to figure it out because that just stresses me out. Um, what was that other movie?
1: It was Home Alone. I think it was Home Alone because you're trying, you said it's tr- the part that everybody loves you don't like because it's, you try to figure <laughs> out the whole time who has it worse. <laughs>
2: yeah, there are other movies that do that to me too. When it has to do with time or years passing or mm-hmm. like, I don't know, that stuff stresses me out. So <laughs> I don't have an opinion myself, but I've seen, That some people say it's 10 or 12 years. Yeah. And I think the screenwriter, or I don't remember if it was the screenwriter or the director, Mm -hmm. many years ago said it was about 10 years, but then revisited it and said, actually, it's more like 30 to 40 years. What do you think? I think I don't have a, a an opinion. I think it's probably if I had to
1: like guess between what they said, I would say probably thirty to forty because just from because he like learns French and plays the piano. So those that's got to how long? I mean, how many days would it take someone to be as good at learn at the piano as him? I mean, it's got to be y- years.
2: But. 10 years, I think is reasonable. Yeah. I mean, they say true. it takes 10,000 hours to master something, right? So. Oh, that's true. 10,000 hours. Figure what happens if you're doing, let's say you're studying the piano for three hours a day. Mm-hmm. That's nine years. Wow. So I don't, I tend to lean toward 10. I t- <laughs> I tend to lean toward, oh my God. I lean tend towards. lean towards. <laughs> I want to say it's 10 years mainly because A, the thought of having to live the same day for 30 or 40 years is the most horrific thing I could imagine, but also because I don't think it would have taken, he wasn't that bad of a guy that would have taken him 30 or 40 yeah, years to true. become a different person. Ten, Even 10 years is a lot. So for those reasons, <laughs> I'm going with 10 years. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Do you have a favorite part? I guess I'd have to say the diner scene, which I've talked about on the podcast before, but I don't know if it we may have make, cut it out. It didn't make it.
1: <laughs> which one? Because obviously there's a bunch of diner scenes. Uh, the one with the pastries. Right, where he's eating everything. And she's like,
2: don't you worry about cholesterol, lung cancer, love handles?
0: I don't worry about anything anymore.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I like that scene because the pastries and like the stuff that that they put on the table just remind me of the diners from home that are Mm -hmm. sort of stuck in a past era. Yeah. But I also really like the scenes where where they build a snowman and when they're outside in the snow.
1: My favorite is I love the scene where he convinces her that he's living the same day over and over, and he goes through mm. everybody in the diner and says what everything about their life.
0: This is Doris. Her brother-in-law, Carl, owns this diner. She's worked here since she was 17. More than anything else in her life, she wants to see Paris before she dies. Oh, boy, what, I, what are you doing? This is Debbie Kleiser and her fiancé, Fred. Do I know you? They're supposed to be getting married this afternoon, but Debbie is having second thoughts. What? Lovely ring this is hey. bill he's been a waiter for three years since he left penn state and had to get work he likes the town he paints toy soldiers and he's gay i, I am <laughs> this is gus he hates his life here he wishes he stayed in the navy but i could have retired on half pay after 20 years excuse me this is some kind of trick well maybe the real God uses tricks you know maybe he's not omnipotent he's just been around so long he knows everything oh okay well who's that This is Tom. He worked in the coal mine until they closed it down. And her? It's Alice. Came over here from Ireland when she was a baby. She lived in Erie most of her life. He's right. And her? Nancy. She works in the dress shop and makes noises like a chipmunk when she gets real excited.
2: Hey! It's
0: true. How do you know these people? I told you, I know everything. In about five seconds, a waiter's going to drop a tray of dishes. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay?
1: Okay, that's enough. I think that scene is so good. It's just so cool. It's so cool. Like he goes, it's perfectly timed because he, he sort of ramps up because he starts slow. Cause he's trying to convince, but then he almost like has a break and is like, I have, I'm going to keep going <laughs> until she believes me. Yeah. And, and then they sit down and he tells her all about her. What about me? Phil? Do you know me too?
0: I know all about you. You like producing, but you hope for more than channel nine Pittsburgh. Well, everyone knows that. You like boats, but not the ocean. You go to a lake in the summer with your family up in the mountains. There's a long wooden dock and a boathouse with boards missing from the roof and a place you used to crawl underneath to be alone. You're a sucker for French poetry and rhinestones. You're very generous. You're kind to strangers and children. And when you stand in the snow, you look like an angel
1: so cute and nice and she believes him. And then she is cute and nice. <laughs> you know what I think is funny about Bill Murray? They never, So most of the time he's starring, but they never do anything to glam him up in any way. There are scenes. When he's at the diner, I think it's the scene you like with the pastries. They have some like close-ups on his face. He looks terrible haggard he does he's got huge circles under his eyes his hair is a mess he looks like a mess and i know, I that mean, that's, but that's on purpose right yeah it's on purpose but i feel like usually he even at his best he still looks like a little bit of a disaster <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: very deeply tired yes <laughs> what's the actor's name who plays the cameraman, who's also um rolling shit and Chris just... Chris? Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott. I don't dislike him in this as much as yeah. I l- dislike him in other things.
1: It's funny when we talked about it on 90s rom coms, I we talked about him for a second and how he always plays the same role basically. He's always like gross. And and it's funny, my memory was that he was in it much more and acting more annoying. I don't know. I guess it must be the actor. Like, I'm used to seeing him and just disliking whoever he's playing. What else he, was he in where he was annoying? I mean, he's been in a... I think he always... Because I remember I was talking to my mom about Schitt's Creek, and she said the same thing about him. I think there's something famous that he's in where he has that similar... I had a very
2: visceral reaction to seeing him in Schitt's Creek. Yeah. So there has to be something. Oh, always in then, something, something About, about Mary. Mary. <laughs> I know he must in, have been it.
1: I know he's also in How I Met Your Mother, which I know you haven't seen, and he's particularly atrocious in that. He plays one of the character's fathers, and he's a full nightmare. But what's funny is that... Oh, wow. He has guest starred on every show imaginable. When you scroll through his yeah. credits, he's, like, in every show for, like, one or two episodes.
2: Oh, he was in 10 episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, yes! Which I don't remember. I I, will, I can see
1: the, uh, him on the Everybody Loves Raymond set, but not. I don't know what he's playing or doing. So it was funny watching it again because I realized that he's not in it nearly as much as I thought he was. I was I remember I get such a visceral reaction from seeing the actor <laughs> that, <laughs> that I thought he was worse. I was like, oh, he's not so bad in this. He's pretty much just walking in and saying, it.
0: you guys ready, we better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather."
2: And what's funny is when i i just looked up his wikipedia and Uh here's the picture that's with it Uh when i see this picture i think like oh he looks like a cute nice guy (laughs) so i don't know why when i saw him on schitt's creek immediately i was like i never want to watch this show ever (laughs) also this is kind of random but are there other movies 90s movies that take place in the midwest where people are weathermen why does that feel like such a familiar thing
1: I agree and don't know why you've never seen broadcast news, right?
2: I know you put it on my list, but you I don't, have, I don't think I watched watch it yet. yet.
1: You have got know, to watch broadcast news that you are going to love that. You really are. It's so good. I don't think it's set in the Midwest though, but they are news people. They're not weather people, but they're obviously it's called broadcast news, but (laughs) they work for a news station and it's a nineties movie. So it has the same feeling, but I think you're right. And now I can't think of what it, why it feels familiar.
2: You know, it also gives me the same feeling, although it has nothing to do with weather people. Mm -hmm. It's the scene in home alone when, is it John Candy?
1: It's so funny because I was going to finish the sentence because I know what you're going to say. Weirdly. <laughs> <That's>
2: weird. <laughs> when him and his polka band give her the ride home.
1: Yes. Why does that feel like weathermen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I knew I knew you were going to say that. What the fuck? <laughs> Can somebody tell us why those two things are connected somehow? Because clearly it's not just me if you had that right. same thought. I was
1: going to say it. I was going to finish. Once you started Home Alone, I was like, oh, I know what she's going to say. She's going to say John Candy and the poke band.
2: <laughs> Maybe, you know what it is? Maybe what? there's an SNL, vintage SNL connection between John Candy and Bill Murray, and that does it? It
1: could. It's possible.
2: They did stripes together. Oh, my gosh. I watched that for the first time recently.
1: That is wacky. Have you ever seen that? No. What makes that crazy is there is literally a split down the middle in which it becomes a completely different movie. Have you ever seen a movie like that? Where there's where it's almost there's a huge shift and it basically becomes something completely different. I don't think so. And I have never seen it, but my dad says True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger is another movie that (laughs) like the first half, he says it's really good. (laughs) The only reason I know it is because he said like after I watched Stripes, he's like, you got to watch True Lies. It's the same thing where halfway through it shifts and becomes like completely new. He's
2: right. Actually, that's that is true. You've seen that? I have, yeah. He said, it's actually a great movie. That's
1: what he said. <laughs> he said it's a great movie and that it shifts and com- becomes a completely different movie, which happens in Stripes. Stripes is about <laughs> this, like, ragtag group of people who are at a military base becoming, like, in the military, and they are slacker people who don't take it seriously, and Bill Murray's obviously leading the charge on that front. <laughs> then it becomes, like, this... They are in a tank and they're like infiltrating
2: a base it's so crazy i'm maybe i'll watch them if you also watch true Lies. i'm going time. to watch true Lies. okay <laughs> <laughs> true lies oh my gosh i might even re-watch that too he i haven't said seen it. that in many years
1: because he got me this magazine that has like 500 movies you have to see or something and i was making my way through it that's and- so cute by the way that he would get that for you.
2: Yeah. Like, he really knows you. That's <laughs> exactly. so cute.
1: And it's I was making my way through it. It's really great. It come it like breaks it down into categories.
2: <laughs> I am dying because this is like the through line of this entire podcast. That the fact entire- <laughs> that you are seated right now I didn't even realize this until that just rang, but that I can actually see one of the 17 cordless phones like behind your left shoulder.
1: This is the, inter- this is the pivot of the whole operation too. This is <laughs> this, the one. If this phone is ever missing, it's like a beacon that goes off. I think he probably just felt a pang where he is that I touched it.
2: <laughs> Real fans will know. <laughs> True listeners know what's going on here.
1: All right. Well, I think we've we've covered the movie being where we haven't been talking about it for the past 15 minutes. So I think-
2: <laughs> all right, you guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes so we can reach a bigger audience. And if you want to find us on Instagram at tickets, please podcast, let's be friends. All righty. Until next, Until week. next time.